I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. Doctor. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. California. Uh, yes, we continue on here on this thunderous Thursday edition. If you miss any part of any of the shows, go to the website, tcmartinshow.com. Or even Matt Smack left that up there on the on the homepage because uh, people have been talking all about Mac. They love that interview. Go back and listen to it. Uh, again, great stuff with Mac and his 75 million reasons on why he is rooting for the Astros. 10 million. On future bets, cash in seventy-five million if if Mac hits it. So, uh, of course, rooting for Mattress Mac, and of course the the promotions guru with Gallery Furniture. Again, he's got seventy-four million as as he told us on the show uh, in sales that are refunds. I should say that he's going to have to refund. Remember, anybody who buy, buys three thousand dollars worth of furniture at his store, you know, during this whole baseball season, and he had to cut it off on Sunday because they did over a hundred and forty thousand dollars. Last Sunday, the day where Framber Valdez, well, Framber Valdez came in on Tuesday and was loading up the truck. There you go. But uh, anyway, yeah, so honestly, Mac would be better suited from a financial standpoint if the Astros lost because he wouldn't have to refund $74 million. But again, this is why he makes these future bets to hedge off. It gets a tremendous amount of, of play not just with people coming in and, and purchasing furniture, but just from a goodwill standpoint. And that's what he said to me. He goes, you know, no, I, I understand that. He goes, but no, I want the Astros to win because of all the goodwill that comes out of it with him, that he's refunding all the money back. And I asked Mac, I said, how many, what, what do you think the percentages of people that actually come in for a refund, especially people that, you know, bought the furniture, you know, back in April and May and June. He goes close to 90, 95%. Did, did that surprise you? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, oh, okay, Astros, I, I got my furniture. Yeah. I said, no way. And he goes, no, seriously. He goes, 90%. Because he's been doing this not only with past Astros teams, but Super Bowls and Kentucky Derby, you know, promotions, exact same thing. He goes, no. He goes, you know, free, free, free. People want the free. So I'm very curious if the Astros do win the World Series that. What those returns really look like, and we'll you know continue talking to Mac over the course of the off season, and then and find out. But so there's a petition out there online to have Mattress Mac throw the first pitch at Game Six throughout the ceremonial first pitch, huh? So six hours ago, yeah, when I first saw it, yeah, there's three hundred and like forty three signatures. Okay, as of right now, we have twenty six thousand nine hundred and forty six <laughs> people. Okay, so this is the petition. The petition. Now, where does the petition go? It's one of those little fake, like, right. like it's so just it's kind just, of like, right. you know, okay. like if the Astros are looking at it. Is Major League Baseball the, tagged on this? No, but is they Major should League, be. Are they going to be able to see this? I, I don't think it's Major League Baseball, isn't it? Wouldn't, it be, the, wouldn't make, it be Houston? No. Remember, Major League Baseball makes every decision from oh, okay. the, from. from you know whether the game is going to get played, whether the roof is going to get opened, okay, the, the times of the games, who's doing batting practice, everything. The national anthem singers go by 
the discretion of Major League Baseball. They control everything. The tickets. Okay, I think I told you the story about the tickets, right? Where you know people got displaced for their season tickets because Major League Baseball, you know, has those first you know five rows there, and uh, everything is controlled by Major League Baseball. The meetings that they have regarding you know the weather decisions. Uh, the Astros. If the Astros said, "Hey, we want the roof, you know, closed tonight," they go, "No, you know, we're, we want it open." Yeah, they're going to decide it. So every one of these comments, Mac yeah. deserves it. Mattress Mac deserves yeah. it. Mattress Mac deserves it after doing what? After doing Philly Vets, I approve. I want Mattress Mac to throw out the first pick, pitch in Game Six. Uh, Mattress Max deserved this honor. So many, so many great comments i i you know here's the thing i mean so obviously houston has an input so when they had like craig biggio and and jeff bagwell uh, two great astro players you know astros hall of famers they major league baseball said okay cool yeah you you can have them throughout the ceremony of first pitch so you see former players or you see dignitaries they will throw out the ceremonial first pitches this is interesting because you would think if Major League Baseball had a little fun aspect in them, they would say, yeah, but here's the problem. That thing's already been determined. They set up who sings the national anthem, who throws that sermon on the first pitch well in advance. So I'm sure that if Mac ends up doing it, Major League Baseball would have to cancel somebody to do that. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, what do they think about the gambling aspect? Because... Even though Mattress Mac is just a great humanitarian, we've talked about so many times that what he's done with the hurricane victims and all the money that he donates to charity, that would be fantastic. Fantastic. But because Major League Baseball has heard all this about, well, he's betting on the World Series and has these future bets, even though Major League Baseball is in bed with all these companies, you would think it'd be okay. But... Uh, I, I love the idea. I he, love it. He's doing something. I love it. Isn't he doing something huge today for like the Philly or for the Eagles game? Didn't he buy out a box or something? And his, I thought I saw something. I don't know. I don't. I don't know about that. It's funny you bring that up because again, I mean, we're going to talk about that. How, how ironic is this that the Eagles are playing the Texans tonight in Houston, Philly against Houston? But I was asking him about that because I was I was thinking about going to the Tennessee Titans Houston Texans game last Sunday when I was there. And I asked Mac, I said, do you go to the games? He goes, no. No, he doesn't go, doesn't have tickets. He he, he's, he likes football, but he's not a big big supporter of the Texans, and especially everything that transpired with Deshaun Watson. All right. Let's uh, continue on here. Some more football talk uh, and, and World Series talk uh, next hour. Jay Cornegay and Scott Spritz will join us right now. We go to our man Sam the Man Gordon, Las Vegas Review-Journal, the fine columnist on our very good friend. Sam, what's going on, man? PC, how you doing? Happy Thursday! Right Thanks back, for having me. Right back to you, man. Glad to to have you here, man. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what your eyes saw last Sunday. Let's go back with the Raiders and the Saints. A really dismal performance by the Raiders. I read your column regarding that uh, on Monday. Fine job as usual, my friend. But uh, I, w- I want to hear it straight from you. I mean, when you were watching this thing unfold. At what point in time did you say, okay, this is the focus of my column? Uh, I mean, I think relatively, I don't know, TC, maybe in the second half when it, when it was clear, look, it's one thing to come out flat. We've, we've seen that before in the NFL. It happens. It happens to great teams. It happens to bad teams. It happens to average teams. 
But the lack of adjustments, the lack of pop in the second half, the lack of energy, the lack of change. I mean, it was the exact same thing uh, in the second half as it was in the first half. So it was clear that, like, there was the, the game plan that they had was was very was ineffective on both sides of the ball. The execution of said game plan was was not precise, uh, and as and there were no changes regarding anything that New Orleans was doing. So. Um, it, it became clear. I mean, New Orleans is not a good football team, T.C. They were at the bottom of the NFL in a number of key metrics, penalties, turnovers, uh, score uh, points allowed per game. I mean, this is a bad team. This New Orleans is not a, a, a great team by any measure, and the Raiders had them out there looking like the 85 Bears, which is how poorly uh, they played. So it, it was. this was supposed to be a stretch where the Raiders reeled off uh, several victories. I'm not, I'm not going to say 6-0 and or anything, but 4-2, and 5-1, and one, that would have put them right back uh, in the mix, and I suppose it's not too late. They can still uh, win a number of games here, but there's nothing that we saw Sunday at all to suggest that that's going to happen. So it was a, uh, it was again a dismal, um, embarrassing performance. Uh, obviously, like you said, my column um, you talked about the the, the coaching, but uh, the players didn't perform either. It was a it was an all around dud uh, by the Raiders, players, coaches, uh, everybody involved, and uh, really a uh, an egregious performance. Uh, against the team that I thought they had a, a prime opportunity to beat. Uh, they, 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 they certainly um, didn't have anything to offer whatsoever, uh, and that is a reflection. I, you know, you read the column. It was, that was, those were my thoughts, and, and uh, we'll see what kind of adjustments uh, the Raiders make on Sunday and what should be another winnable game uh, against Jacksonville Jaguars. And I said, I say should be, because uh, we'll have to see after that performance against New Orleans. I agree with you. And again, you, you come off that game against the Texans here at Allegiant Stadium the week prior, and they didn't look good in the first half. 10-10, you know, to Davis Mills and company for the Houston Texans. And then the second half, the Raiders showed some life, some spark, and you would think, okay, naturally, okay, now, you know, they're supposed to win that game, and they're probably supposed to win the game against the Saints. Now, granted, you know, the Superdome is a tough place to play, but the Saints, like you said, are not a good team. They got question marks at quarterback. They got question marks at running back. And even though you got Alvin Kamara, I mean, this guy has been banged up. He hasn't been the same guy for half, you know, almost a year now and he gets his you know scores his first three touchdowns of the season in you know week number eight I mean it's it's crazy and they were listless they were lifeless it was humiliating it was downright embarrassing it's almost like the Raiders felt like okay we're going to walk over this team you can't have that type of attitude when you are the Raiders when you are the two and five Las Vegas Raiders uh, it's it, it's mind boggling, Sam, because it just seems every week, you know, you know, people are expecting this team to bust out, and then here comes the uh, the question that I have for you is, you know, people say, well, the Raiders should be much better because they have all this talent. I disagree with that, Sam. I don't think that there is an abundance of talent here, and when you look at the, especially the defensive side of the ball, I mean, that defense is a sieve. It's a sieve, especially against the pass. They have been uh, struggling with cornerbacks and safeties and basically linebackers for the the better part of, of, of many years. You bring a guy like Chandler Jones, okay, that's supposed to stabilize something. You got Max Crosby, but outside of Crosby, what has anybody else done? I mean, are you banking on, on Divine Diablo? Are you really kidding me with this? I mean, with all these guys? I mean, that defense... Is is so thin to begin with, and then you add on injuries on top of that. 
I mean, I don't see it getting better anytime soon. Then as, as far as offense, yeah, Josh Jacobs. I mean, let's be honest. The Raiders really didn't think too much of him. They, if you thought that much of Josh Jacobs, you would have re-signed him. He's having a fantastic season. He's the guy that's kind of you know carrying you right now. But Derek Carr is the same Derek Carr that we've seen in the past. And Devonta Adams, I mean, one catch last week. Now, I, you know, it, it just in Devonta Adams, you know, he's hanging his head. We saw how he reacted after the game. That's frustration. We've talked about a lot during the course of the season. He's not used to losing. He wasn't losing like this in Green Bay. I mean, he was putting up his numbers. And so if you're Devontae Adams, you got to be thinking, man, you know, what did I sign up here for? So I just think that when you look at the talent aspect here, the Raiders just aren't very good, really, on both sides of the ball, but really specifically the defensive side. Well, I yeah, I mean that's that's clear. I think they have like the I, I saw some some stats on uh, I believe Josh Dubow, um, great great sports writer for the AP um, in the Bay Area, uh, alluding to how little money the Raiders spend on their defense. I think they're third to last in spending on that side of the ball this this particular season in terms of how much they've allocated to their defense uh, this season, and it shows right. I mean, it shows in, in certainly in the, in the lack of um, high end you know, top tier playmakers and then in the lack of depth as well. So like you said, DC, when you lose a Nate Hobbs who had been developing into a pro bowl caliber corner and one of your best defensive players, you lose him to an injury um, to begin with. You already thin at the secondary to begin with. That's the, the ramifications are devastating. You mentioned Chandler Jones, uh, the, the high price tag, uh, excellent pass rusher through the first 10 years of his career, the excellent pass rusher coming over from the Cardinals at, at 32. It's just, he hasn't found it this season. So, uh, they're, the, the, the issues are abundant on the defensive side of the ball. I do think um, that they were banking uh, on, on the, the new staff and regime being able to piece it together on the offensive line and figure things out and banking on their coaching. And uh, in some ways, in the running game, for a few weeks, they've delivered in that regard. And then we also saw how much that unit struggled on Sunday uh, against the Saints. So uh, I, I'm with you. It's, not, it's not, certainly not a top-five roster. You look at rosters like the San Francisco 49ers, the Buffalo Bills, teams like that, right? Like the, the Raiders aren't in that echelon. But I do think um, they have more talent than the record, than the record would indicate. This was a team that, that had the opportunity, right, when you, when, you, when you elected to move on from Mike Mayock and Rich, Rich Bisaccia. There were one of two ways the organization could have went. They could have – opted to, to do a full teardown and a rebuild right on the spot and, and, and uh, trade away some of their best players and elect not to resign certain players and only focus on their young guys. Uh, or they wanted to, or there was the approach of doubling down and, and investing more resources into the success that they had last year. And a lot of those games at the end of the year, were they fluky? Maybe to a certain degree uh, that, that stringing together wins that improbably and however many they had to reel off five of their last six or whatever to make the playoffs. Yeah, there was, there was definitely – um, some luck involved in that, but it, nonetheless, it was a 10 and 17 that the Raiders elected to add resources to and invest more money in instead of um, rebuilding. So when you do that from an organizational standpoint, it, it signals to me that they expected to be a lot better than two and five, right? A lot more competitive um, than two and five. They were of course competitive in their first few losses, but Sunday uh, was inexcusable. And now uh, you're at kind of a crossroads in your season where if the Raiders lose on Sunday to the Jacksonville Jaguars, which, the Jaguars at two and six are in a similar position where they've lost a number of post games as well and could probably make the case and argument that they should have a, a better record than they do. But uh, with that being said, if the Raiders go down to Jacksonville uh, and lose Sunday, then then you can forget about it. I mean, there already was hardly a margin of error um, to begin with going into New Orleans. And then when you look that way uh, and play the way that they did, uh, it, it leaves you with, with no margin for error on, on Sunday. So if they don't win 
uh, I, I think at two and six, you can pretty much forget about it at that point. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it hasn't been the season uh, that anybody expected. I don't think there was necessarily, I mean, I certainly didn't expect Super Bowl or anything or necessarily a run to the, uh, the AFC title per se, but I did expect more competitive, a better record than two and five and certainly more competitive team than the one that uh, trotted out and took the field on the Superdome Sunday. So again, we'll see uh, how they look against Jacksonville, a team that has a myriad of issues and a vulnerable team that the Raiders again should beat. They're favored to do so just like they were favored against the saints. Uh, but as we've seen with, with the Raiders this year, you don't know what you're going to get. Uh, and until they go out there and prove it and beat the Jacksonville Jaguars and play a sound, a good sound four quarters, uh, you can't assume anything, not at this point in the season. The trade deadline is coming past this week. Uh, the Raiders stand pat, don't do anything. And here's a comment from Dave Ziegler. He says, we are excited about the group that we have. What do you, what do you make of that? Um, I, I make, I, I mean, it's, it's hard for, I mean, I don't, me personally. I mean, I, that I is the company line discussion. of all company lines there. I mean, they uh, didn't do uh, it, you know, but yeah. I mean, you can't be happy with what you got, especially as you know, Sam, you're a GM, you're a head coach, you come in, okay, we, we're we're playing with Mike Mayock's guys still, for the most part, okay? We, we can try to get rid of some of these guys, but you can't get rid of everybody. you got to play with these guys, especially in a coach's, you know, first year, you know, under this regime here with Ziegler and McDaniels here, but you can't say that we're happy with this group that we have here. I mean, that's just saying, you know, hey, I, I don't want to, you know, create any, you know, bad ill will or chemistry in, in, in our locker room right now. But uh, especially on defense, you can't be happy with this. No, I, I don't think there's any way. I mean, the team's two and five. The the, the first four losses were all came down to situational football in which the Raiders didn't execute, and and the fifth loss. Uh, was a total no-show. So I don't think I don't. I, there's no way uh, there, when you look at the roster, right? And there are strengths in this team. When healthy, the receiving core should figure to be among one of the better ones uh, in the NFL. You have Max Crosby, who is one of the best defensive players uh, in the league at 25. He's under contract long-term. Nate Hodge is emerging into a star, uh, and there are quality starters around the field. That, but when you take a when you when you're talking about again a team like San Francisco, the depth, the team, the, the depth that a Buffalo has, the, the there are much, much, much better rosters, and there has to be an understanding that, uh, yeah, there are pieces in place. There is a foundation in place. There was last year, but uh, that, that there's still a lot that needs to happen in order for this team to be a real upper echelon contender. And I think some of his messaging yesterday um, was they want to build something long-term, something sustainable and long-term, and that's, that's very understandable. That's obviously the objective that every uh, front office, every team has to have. But at this juncture of the season, when you're 2-5 and five and you might be 2-6, and six, like what? What is there right now, long term, that they that they that 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 excites Dave Ziegler? Like I said, I mentioned I think a few of the players, and I think a few of maybe the units that that are strengths of this team. But there are still too many holes, and in order to build something sustained, it's going to take um, a while. So I was, I, they had an opportunity right at the trade deadline to maybe recoup some draft picks and recoup some draft compensation and uh, sell off at this juncture of the season. They chose not to do that. That signals to me that they are. They still believe that they can compete for a playoff berth. And, again, uh, they, they did lose to New Orleans, but the schedule still relatively favorable with Jacksonville, um, with the Colts. Uh, Seattle, I think, much better than anybody expected. But, but there are winnable games still uh, on the schedule. It's just, there again, based on Sunday, we haven't seen anything that's going to suggest that a, a run is going to happen. Uh, so we'll see how they respond on, on Sunday. But I, I'm, with, I'm with you. I don't think there's anything 
um, that that he that that Raider fans are happy with being two and five, and, and I, I certainly don't think that's the messaging that they want to hear from their general manager uh, at this juncture of the season. Need a must win against uh, Jacksonville, a very beatable opponent. But Jacksonville coming off uh, a tough loss in England as well, too, so they'll be hungry. And we've seen Jacksonville uh, play pretty well, especially at home, but uh, a lot of close losses, like you said. Sam, I appreciate it as always, my friend. We'll let you get back to work. Thanks for spending time with us today, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, DC. Appreciate you having me. Talk soon. There he is. Sam Gordon does a great job at the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Check out his column there at the RJ. All right. We come back. We talk football, baseball, a whole lot more handicapping as we get busy with Jay Cornegay from the Westgate, the Superbook. Scott Spritzer joins us from Doc Sports as well, too, as we continue on here on a thunderous Thursday edition, getting you ready for game number five of the World Series between the Astros and the Phillies tonight. The winner of tonight's game will be one victory away from a World Series title.